The world is ever changing and sometimes we just need a helping hand. Hey, it's one more about the Rama. New apps here, new tech there, it's all very exciting. But it's nice to have something you can count on. Like insurance from State Farm. ¿Tienes preguntas sobre tu seguro? Con State Farm puedes llamar a tu agente o conectar con ellos. Aprende más en es.statefarm.com Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. We all know a guy who only occasionally shaves for big occasions, and it's because that occasional shave really hurts. It's the time of year for big occasions, and yet there he is, suffering with that cheap drugstore razor. Let's help him out. Henson Shaving's line of razors, built with aerospace precision, deliver a smooth shave your dad, brother, and even son can enjoy, eventually. With replacement blades just 10 cents each, you'll buy it once, and they'll use it for life. How's that for the perfect gift? Celebrate with 100 free blades on your first purchase, and no subscription headaches. HensonShaving.com slash holiday you're about to experience a life-giving message from bishop kevin foreman pastor of harvest church one church in global locations to find out more about bishop foreman and harvest church visit our website at www.harvestchurch.church your faithful giving is how we continue to bring life-giving messages like these to you give online in our mobile app or text the word giving to 59769 Remember to love God, love people, and love life. Message is called Childhood Scars. It's about breaking generational curses. I want to encourage our youth tonight. Uh, high school, you make your way to your youth lounge. Middle school, you make your way to the training center. Everybody else, lift your Bibles high. Let's make our confession of faith together. It's on the screens. I'm unconditionally loved by God and at Harvest Church. I am in my year of acceleration, accelerated progress, accelerated faith. This year, all I do is win. In Jesus' name, Selah. Remain standing. I want you to go to Numbers 14, 18. Selah is amen's cousin, which means, God, you said it. I believe it. That settles it. The moment you stop trying to negotiate with God is when you'll see God do something great for you. God is not subject to negotiate with your will, your whim, nor your whining. The only thing he's subject to is his word, and his word is his bond. Somebody say his word is his bond. So if God says it, our only job is to believe it, and that's got to settle it. So if God says you're healed, that settles it. If God says you're the head and not the tail, that settles it. If God says you're the curse breaker, that settles it. T touch your neighbor and say, that settles it. Numbers 14, 18, the Lord is long-suffering, which means he's patient. Now, do not confuse being patient as being a punk. Sometimes people will be patient with you and you will confuse that as something to abuse. Many people do this with God. God knows my heart. And they use it as a justification for why they haven't changed. But touch your neighbor and say, that's not our testimony. The Lord is long-suffering and abundant in mercy. Mercy is when God blocks something negative from happening that you do deserve. Forgiving iniquity and transgression. We learned on Sunday, iniquity is generational sin that's passed down. Transgression is when you willfully deviate from what you know to be true some, uh, and to be right. Somebody say, he's for forgiving God. But look at this next part of the verse. But he by no means clears the guilty. Look at me, Wednesday. When you set something in motion, just because you ask for forgiveness, it doesn't end what you set in motion. I'm going to say again. If, if somebody uh, uh, steps on your toe and they say, I'm sorry, does that take away the pain? Why? It's been set in motion. This is our generational curse words because people will say, Lord, forgive me, but not realize what they set into motion in their bloodline. Verse, it says, by no means does he clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers. That's the previous generations. On the children to the what? Third and fourth generation. Which means, look at me, you are dealing with anywhere between 120 and 400 years of junk. I don't care how good you think you are, a lot of you ain't you, it's somebody else. That's the neighbor said, there's some junk in your trunk. <laughs> and said, we're going to unpack the trunk tonight. You ain't talking like you mean it. Said, we're going to unpack the trunk tonight. Only say this if you're determined that tonight at least one curse is going to be broken. Say, I'm going to unload the junk tonight. 
Father, in Jesus' name, I decrease that you would increase. Increase the level of anointing in this place right now, even that's going through every digital campus, because tonight I got an assignment, and that assignment is that tonight the curse breaker that's on the inside of everybody that is under the sound of my voice, that it be erected tonight. I declare curses broken, ancient curses that have been here for generation after generation after generation, that tonight they shall be broken, and it's because of one name and one name only, and that name is Jesus, and we thank you for it. Somebody give God praise tonight. You can be seated in the presence of the Lord. Let's go to work. We are in week seven of this life-giving message series called Fall Forward to Learn from the Bible how to maximize our failure, our mistakes, and our disappointments so we can make the decision not to fall down nor to fall backward, but to fall forward. Proverbs 24, 16, you know it by now, says that a righteous man, somebody say that's me. You should have learned by now after seven weeks of hearing that verse that who's the righteous of God? We are. Why? Because Romans says he's given us righteousness as a free gift, which means when God sees you, he doesn't see your issues, he doesn't see your problems, he doesn't see your drama. When God sees you, he sees somebody that's in right standing with him, which means you may have done every dirty, scoundrel, ratchet thing that you could have put your mind to, but the day you come to Jesus, he looks at you and washes you with his blood and says, you are my righteousness. You are in right standing with me, and since you're in right standing with me, you can boldly approach the throne of grace and obtain mercy in your time of need. Somebody say, I'm righteous. And because he makes us righteous, that gives us the ability to live righteously. It is the difference from living to try to be something and living from something. In other words, if I'm living from something because he's made me righteous, I can live righteously. I'm not trying to live righteous so he'll call me righteous. Let me say it another way. If I'm already rich, I'm not trying to play and fake and pretend because he's already made me that, so I'm living from that. So in other words, stop trying to perform for God because he's not impressed. Instead, be real so that your butt can get healed. Touch your neighbor say he already knows the real deal. So for a righteous man may fall seven times and he shall rise again. In other words, the Bible prophesied that you're going to fall seven times, but you're going to get up uh, at least, how many times? Eight times, which means I don't care how many falls you have, as long as you got one more get up. Yeah, I, I, I apparently am in the wrong church tonight. I don't care how many times it didn't work, as long as you got one more get up. I don't care how many times that you, they said no, as long as you got one more get up. I don't care how many times you got the towel in your hand and you're ready to throw it in, as long as you got one more get up. Lay your hands on yourself, say, I got one more get up. Say it again, say, I got one more get up. It says, for a righteous man may fall seven times. Seven is the biblical number of completion, which means, watch this, now, that after I've fallen, the goal is that I fall for it, so I get it. Too many people fall and they never get it, so their whole life is a repeat of the same fall. If you're honest with yourself, there are certain areas in your life where you have not watched this really made progress. It's just a different day. Only thing you've done is had duration, but you've not had any manifestation because you keep repeating the same fall because you don't get it. But tonight. Say it like you mean to say, but tonight. Uh, in last Sunday's message, I asked you this question. How many of our failures, mistakes, and disappointments were called because of, caused because of unhealed childhood scars? A scar is a mark left where a wound, burn, or sore has not healed completely. Most dangerous thing in the world is an unhealed person, watch this, hooking up with an unhealed person. Because they're about to produce an unhealed family and perpetuate some junk and some drama. I wish I had some honest folk in here. The, the most dangerous thing is for some unhealed friends to get around some unhealed friends because they're about to produce some unhealed, jacked-up, toxic mess. Now, 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 watch this, watch this. A scar is a mark where a wound, burn, or sore has not completely healed. And while we see these physically, what about those that affect our souls? It's our mind, thoughts, will, and emotions. Say it with me. Mind, thoughts, will, and emotions. We all have scars there in our mind, the things that were set to us, the things that were done to us, our minds, thoughts. Our thoughts now are very interesting because the Bible says that our thoughts can be taken captive, which means a thought is a thing. 
missed it. A thought is a thing. Just like this towel is a thing, so is a thought. Many of us, if we looked at our thoughts as things, we would stop thinking what we thought uh, because we'd realize that what we're thinking, when we see the thing that we think, we'd say, that's gross. What do you mean? You really mean to tell me that after everything God has brought you through, you really mean to sit up and think those defeatist, discouraged, depressed thoughts? If you saw those in their tangible form, you'd say, that's ridiculous. I wish I had some people in here. After everything God's brought you through, after every door that he's opened, after every opportunity he's given you, after every time the car accident should have killed you and it didn't, after every time the disease should have killed you but it didn't, if you really can sit and hold the crazy thought, that's a thing that looks disgusting because a thought is a thing. Our thoughts. Say your thoughts. Now, now, now watch this. Watch this. Our mind, our thoughts, our will. Our will, watch this, is the center of our decision making. Say will. John, John said this. Jesus must increase. John the Baptist. Jesus must increase, so I must decrease. John knew that for God to get to glory, he was going to have to now fade away. And he had to give up his will so that the will of who he served prevailed. In America, we have a problem. And the problem is that we live for our will, which is why you have so many bills God won't pay. He will only pay. I'm going to preach hard tonight, so you better come on, jump in the water. Shake your neighbor's arm like you're going to shake it off. Say, come on and jump in this water. Try you another neighbor. Say, come on, jump in this water. When it's God's will, it's God's bill. When it's your will, it's your bill. And I don't just mean literal bills. I I mean stuff you keep concocting and you keep saying this was God and God is like, that ain't got nothing to do with me. And you got so many things, watch this, that you started and cannot finish, that you've begun and cannot complete. It's because God says, I don't have anything to do with that and I'm not paying for it. I'm not dealing with it because that's your will, not my will. You think you're trying to be somebody special, not realizing I already made you something special. And if you'll get in my plan and stop trying to plan your own will, So, so, watch, y'all here? I said, are y'all here? Will, that's the center of your decision making. It's your will. What is it that you will to do? You're here tonight because you will to be. I learned two things that are true about people. The first thing is that people do what they want. Here's the second thing, that people do what they want. Touch your neighbor say, people do what they want, and they do what they want. I used to believe, well, they didn't know no better. Yes, they did. They willed to not perform well. They willed not to say thank you. Y'all not going to talk to me. They willed not to be there when they said they were going to be there. Yeah, Y'all don't want to talk to me tonight. Stop accepting excuses from people. Just tell the truth. That's your will. Because I think there's a few folk in here, well, watch this. When our backs were against the wall, we didn't have the choice not to produce, not to perform, not to make it happen. We had to make it happen. I think there's some single parents in here that you went through some things where you had to make it happen. You had to get the job done. You had to perform. It was your will to get the job done. Somebody say, his will, not my will. And then emotions, our emotions, our emotions. Your emotions are enigmatic. They're mysterious. They're evasive. They never deal with the real problem. And they what, say enigmatic, enigmatic. Evasive, evasive, say erratic. erratic. They change like the wind. You know what gets me about this time of the year is that I can't quite plan how to dress. <laughs> it because, because, see, watch this. On Saturday, I, I, it felt good last Saturday. On Sunday morning, I, I was on southwest.com trying to figure out where I was going to go after church because I willed to be here. <laughs> And then I willed to leave. (laughs) It was a snowstorm, right? So that's how your emotions are. Your emotions, one moment, they are very stable. The next moment, they're very different. And the danger with emotions is that most people today in today's culture, they live by their emotions. I'm feeling some type of way. I'm I'm just dealing with a whole lot right now. And you know the problem with your emotions is that your emotions 
often create behavior that watch this. Once you sober up into the proper emotion, you look at what you did and say, what have I done? What did I say? What did I do? And then it's like the next morning, you, you, you know, you, you're trying to make things right with folks that you've done wrong. And they're like, I remember what you said, though. I'm listening to what you're saying, but I remember what you said. It, it's, it's quiet in the church. Now, 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 check this out. Say scars. So there are scars that have affected our mind, thoughts, will, and emotions. On Sunday, I told you about a woman I watched on this TV show called My 600-Pound Life. It was a woman whose father was an alcoholic that beat the mother. The mother then beat the daughter, and the daughter was being molested by the babysitter. So she turned to food for comfort and safety. When she was 20, she was pregnant and kicked out of her home. Her second baby died on the inside of her, so she turned to what? Food for comfort and safety. After that? She had two rough pregnancies that caused her to stay in bed and eat. And at 38, she was bedridden and 600 pounds. She carried her scars, watch this, in everything she did. Everything about the woman's life was carried in her scars. Her scar, watch this, her scar was for her in her physical body. 600 pounds, so much so, she got remarried. Her husband literally had to lift one leg out of the bed and help her lift the other leg out of the bed. The story went on to say that the woman, she would only take showers every other day because it took so much out of her that she could not even get into the shower. She was going to see a doctor to get treatment, and they could not put her in the car. They had to put her in the SUV, in the very back of an SUV, and sit her back there to where her face was facing the side window because there was no vehicle they could get her in. And everybody saw her scar, and they would look and say, oh, my God, look at her. She's 600 pounds, but nobody saw the wounds. See, see, the wounds that created the scars happened to her in her childhood. And watch this. They were generational things. They were perpetuated things. They, they were things that the mama dealt with, her mama dealt with, her daddy dealt with, his daddy dealt with. There were things in the bloodline that they dealt with. And now you got a woman carrying 600 pounds of scars. Watch this. You may say, well, Bishop, I'm so glad I don't carry 600 pounds of scars. No, you don't carry 600 pounds of scars. You carry 600 thoughts of scars. No, 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 no. It's, it's, see, 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 it's in your mind, your thoughts, your will, and your emotions. And so if we were to take a scalpel to look at the inner you, the you that you can't pretend in front of other people, the real you, the you that goes home in the car, the you that cries at night, the you that gets frustrated and grits your teeth, and you that says, God, why me? I'm so sick of this. That you, if we were to look at that you, you just as big as her. So don't dare judge the woman because she had some scars. Touch your neighbor and say, you don't know my story. You don't know my story. Don't dare judge the woman and say, how could she do that? I want to ask you a question. How could we do that to ourselves and not deal with the scars? Scars keep you from going far. Scars keep you where you are. The woman, here she is down in her 40s. She's bedridden. She can't go anywhere. She can't go anywhere. Watch this when she wants to. She can't fit in her own automobile. And I looked at it, and I started to get a little teary-eyed while I was watching the story because, because as truth be told, for as aggressive as I am and as, as all that, one of my friends says, Bishop, you're a strong alpha male. For all that that I am, the truth be told is that I'll cry at nine and two. Amen. Fellas, ain't nothing wrong with shedding some tears. Oh, y'all ain't saying nothing. The real man can cry. <laughs> Mess with me if you want to. I might start crying right now. Check this out. She couldn't go where she wanted to go, and her scars kept her in her bed. Every time she had to go somewhere, she had to get her husband to help her to get somewhere, and they had to call in somebody else's vehicle because their vehicle was not able to get her to where she needed to go, all because she was scarred. We look at this naturally, but I want to ask you a question. Where can't you go because your scars won't let you? What can't you have because your scars won't let you? What do you talk yourself out of and, and, and talk yourself into these crazy emotional tailspins because you're scarred? Psalm 51.5, King James Version says this. Behold, I was shaped in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. We learned on Sunday there are three primary forms of sin according to the Bible. The first is sin, which means to miss the mark. Transgression, that's to willfully deviate from what you know to be correct. So I gave you the example. Let me just do it again. So sin is... Missing the mark. It's a mistake. So here's sin. I didn't know to touch the towel. Touch the towel. Somebody say sin. Here's transgression. Don't touch the towel. That's transgression. Here's iniquity. Here, you're going to, here, here, come, come here. 
Okay, I'm your dad, and so I, I, I've been touching the towel, but I'm not here no more. You touch the towel. See it? And then watch this. And then watch this. Because he watched you touch the towel. Now he going to touch the towel. So watch this. Because of my transgression, it created their iniquity. You, gotta, you understand what I'm saying? Say sin, transgression, iniquity. Most of what's passed down are scars from wounds that we weren't present to witness. Most of what's passed down to us are scars from wounds that we were not present to witness. The, the woman had children in the story, and her children never saw her father beat their grandmother. But they live with the scar it left with their mother. Y'all aren't hearing what I'm saying. Y'all aren't hearing what I'm saying. Since childhood, somebody say since childhood. We are all shaped in environments of iniquity. And I can sense some of y'all, you're starting to think back and you're starting to get deep and stuff starting to well up. This is not the time to pull yourself into emotions. This is the time to press past that and get healed from that. Touch your neighbor say, don't you draw back now. I said, don't you draw back now. Somebody say, let's break the curses. Since childhood, we're all shaped in environments of iniquity which is generational dysfunction. And we practice what we're presented, and practice makes perfect even if it's perfectly wrong. So check this out. So now I did it, pass it down to my son, then he passes it down to his son. Check this out. Now, he didn't see me touch the towel, but because it's iniquity, it's in the bloodline. But now check this out. Not only is it passed down, but, but over here, one of y'all was watching. Come here, somebody move from over here now. One of here, come on, thank you, daughter. For over here, you watched him do it. So now, you got the towel. So now, one, two, three, four people are all involved in something that's, watch this, that's destroying the bloodline. Because she ain't even in this bloodline. But now what happened over here is transferred to over there. That's why it matters who your friends are. That's why it matters the folk you go around. Because it's passed down, but it's also passed around. Watch watch this. We practice what we're presented. Took the towel. And practice makes what? Perfect. Even if it's perfectly wrong. If Harvest Worship rehearses tomorrow night and they sing the wrong note, don't think that by faith it's going to be right on Sunday. The devil is alive. If it ain't right at rehearsal, it ain't going to be right when it's time to do it. Here's how many of us live. I'm going to just wing it. God knows my heart. Everything's going to be okay. And God is going to be like, but you've been practicing things perfectly wrong. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Somebody say, I'm the curse breaker. Everything about you. I don't care if you're a millionaire, billionaire, or trying to figure out where you're going to eat, get your next meal from. Everything about you is shaped by scars that are passed around and down to us, and that's called a generational curse. A generational curse is a destructive pattern of behavior that's passed down from one generation to the next. And a generational curse, listen to me, is a time-tested strategic attack against you. It has been here before you, and it intends to outlive you. This doesn't mean the people in your bloodline were intentionally evil, but they were most certainly scarred. Because sometimes when we talk about generational curses, we'll say, well, no, my mom had a good heart. She was scarred. My daddy did his best. That's nice. He was scarred. It's not about them being malevolent in their intention. It's about them being ignorant in their action. Because sometimes people won't address generational curses because you never want to see somebody that you revere in a negative light. Not realizing it's not them that's the problem. It's the curse that's the problem. The Bible, I feel like preaching. I'm through here. The Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood. We ain't dealing with people. We're dealing with the spirits that are in people and the spirits working behind people. Don't you ever be so petty as to get pulled down into a fight with another human being. That's petty. Instead, move the human being to the side and say, what spirit is working in you? What spirit is working behind you? Deuteronomy 28 is not an exhaustive list 
of the generational curses that exist, but it certainly lists many of them, and I want to give you some. Can I give you some? Watch this. Here's some generational curses. A victim mentality. Constant lack. Repeated emotional breakdowns. Confusion over what should be simple. Chronic fear. Repeated sickness. Never succeeding at anything. Life barrenness. Sexual and reproductive issues. Chronic marriage and family problems. Financial insufficiency. Being accident prone. Unnatural deaths. Children being married to their destruction. Being taken advantage of. Weak and passive men overbearing women. Now, now that's not the exhaustive list. You want the whole list? There's several, there's many, many, many verses in Deuteronomy 28. You can study that on your own. Uh, say, those are curses. Uh, I says, it is not, watch this, God's design, watch this, for his people to be married to their destruction. It's a curse. And if you check bloodlines, it's normally generational. Everybody marries the same sorry something something. Everybody has the same issues. Everybody is making it work. As if it's supposed to be torturous. Marriages don't fail uh, 10, 15, 20, 30 years down the road. They fail up front. If you date wrong, you're going to marry wrong. And if you marry wrong, it won't last long. It's not God's will that you in one room and she in the other room. Look, girl, if we married, come on here now. <laughs> Bible says, render unto me your conjugal, conjugal, what you owe me. <laughs> conjugal rights, thank you. <laughs> if we married, you want another room where you can go. <laughs> I'm just telling you. Girl, you know I, I love you. I'm going to sing until she come back. And she got five minutes to come back. I'm just playing. <laughs> now, now, say generational curses. It is not God's will that you be in constant lack. How is your God the God of overflow and you are the God of no flow? How is he overflowing? You live with no flow. How? 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 Question. How is God a God of order and nothing about your life is orderly? I told you I'm going to preach hard, so you might as well come on with me. Somebody said, let's go, Bishop. To break curses, you can't be nice. That's some of y'all's problem. You're too polite with the devil, and you're too polite. You're mean to the wrong people, and you're nice to the wrong thing. There's sometimes you need to get a little bit of an attitude and get it at your generational curses and get it at the enemy and say, I'm sick and tired of this curse robbing and stealing and killing and destroying, and I'm not having it another day of my life. So to find a generational curse, look at your bloodline to find out, find out because curse means empowerment to fail, to find out, watch this, where an area is empowered to fail. You know what an empowerment to fail means? It means nothing you do works to make it succeed. It's empowered to fail. In other words, its only option is to fail. Somebody say fail. fail. Now, now, now check this out. Check this out. Then you have to start asking some questions. I love what somebody said in the pre-show that they went and asked some, some of their bloodline some questions. Because that's what most folk don't do. Is they just accept what it is. Versus asking some questions. Such they say, ask some questions. And there's a reward if you do. I'm going to tell you how to do it, but let me tell you the reward first. Because sometimes we need to be incentivized. So here's your incentive. Uh, watch this. Proverbs 630. If, if you find out wh where this curse is, there's a reward. Somebody said there's a reward. Proverbs 6.30, people do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy himself when he's starving. Verse 31, yet when he is found, he must restore sevenfold. He may have to give up all the substance of his house. Here's what the Bible says. When you find a thief, that thief is now responsible for giving you sevenfold what was stolen. If you look at what your generational curses have robbed from you, if you'll find this joker tonight, some of y'all got harvest about as big as... You got stuff coming your way that's huge. Matter of fact, prophesy over your own life and lay your hands on yourself and say, the next thing God does in my life, it's going to be huge. Say, because I'm going to find the generational curse and destroy it tonight. 
You ain't saying it like you mean it. Say, I'm going to find that curse and I'm going to destroy it tonight. And when you find it, the Bible says sevenfold what it took, it's got to restore. Which means there's some jobs that are on the way back. There's some opportunities that are on the way back. Some money that's on the way back. Some help that's... Holla, it's on the way. So let's, let's do the work. Let's do the work. Let's do the work. Galatians 3 teaches us that Jesus redeemed us from the curse of the law and the penalty of sin, which was death and damnation. Because here's what some people will say. Well, I don't really believe in generational curses. It's totally cool. Don't worry about it. They believe in you. Okay, don't ever try to reason with a fool. You waste of breath. You say, I don't believe in it. Just say, have you looked at your bloodline? Normally, other people with the most cursed lines, like when you look up generational curses in the Bible dictionary, it's like them, their family portrait. <laughs> well, I don't believe in them. It's cool. They believe in you. All right? So, so. Jesus redeemed us from the curse of the law, which was death and damnation. Now, Jesus didn't take them away. Instead, he gave us the power to choose better once we know better. If Jesus took away the generational curses, you and I wouldn't even have the power to sin. Because he gives us this thing called free choice or free will, he can't take it away. He's got to give us the ability. I set before you this day life and death, the blessing and the curse pick. Choose which one. Why do you give people a choice if there isn't one? Because there is. Touch the neighbors how you've been choosing. Now, now, here's how this works. The sins of the past generations of your bloodline, they visit to the third and fourth generation. Visit is the same Hebrew word for, uh, for pastor. So in other words, a, a curse shows up to pastor you. And that's why you can sit up under this anointed teaching and still see no significant process uh, and progress in your life because your generational curses are your pastor. You can come to church every week and, and I still not be your pastor. Your curses are. Think about this. The verse, Numbers 14, 18. Visiting, pastoring the iniquity of the fathers, previous generations, to the third and fourth generations. You want to know what that word pastor means? In Hebrew, it's pakad. And here's what it means. It means to appoint. Check this out. He by no means clears the guilty. Appointing the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation. Look at me. Sometimes there, there are things in your life. You, you ever uh, made decisions in your life? Okay, everybody has, right? Okay, you raising your hand was a decision. Appoint means to make a decision to put something somewhere. The scripture says that your curse will determine what you appoint, where you put stuff. There are certain stuff you put in the trash that should have been treated as treasure. And stuff you treated as treasure that you should have treated as trash. But when your curse tells you where to appoint things, you will appoint things in the wrong places. Be a good church. It means to avenge, to get vengeance. Your curse will fuel your need to get even. Not even because you're trying to get even with who you think did you wrong, but because there's something in you that says, well, I'm not going to let what my mama did happen to me again, so let me handle you before you handle me because you might be like her. They're not talking, so we're going to need to ride, Tonto. All right? Watch this. Watch this. Bestow. Give a directive to. Your generational curses give you directives. I'm going to say it again. Your generational curses give you directives. They tell you what to do. Sit here. Don't clap. Don't touch your neighbor. Don't worship. Don't serve. You don't need to serve. God knows your heart. Don't praise. You don't have to do that. Don't do this. Don't do that. Your generational curses direct you. For many of you, those thoughts you say you had where you thought it through, you were consulting your curse. You'll say, I thought it through and this is my conclusion. And God says, you are. You're my child. But parents, air parenting, you know, you got some, your children and some of them, sometimes you didn't look at them and said, parents, do not leave me hanging right there. Every single parent in here, your child and done some stuff where you didn't look at them. He said, you my child, but right now, I'm 
God says, God says that your curse will pass to you. It'll give you directives. Then check this out. Commit. Commit. Your curses determine what you commit to. And what you don't commit to. Doesn't that say a curse? Your, then it means count. Your curses determine, watch this, how you count things. Now you miss it. You miss it. Doesn't that say how you count? Your, your curses determine how you count. Are, are, you, are you counting things, watch this, are you counting things the way God counts them? Or are you counting them the way you count them? Let me give you an example. Are you looking at somebody who was a Judas walking out as lost? Or are you looking at that as gain? Your curse determines how you count. How do you count your money? How do you count your resources? How do you count the value of somebody else's life? How do you count the value of your own life? You want to know what determines that? Your curses. Are you still here? I said, are you still here? Then it means, watch this, to oversee. Oversee. Your curse becomes your foreman. It's your overseer. So the moment you start making progress, your curse will come over and say, ah! What are you doing going to church on a Wednesday? What are you doing giving now? Because now it sees you're making progress. So as the overseer, it steps in and says, stop that. You're doing too much. It doesn't take all of that. It's so quiet in here. To muster. But then check this out. To care for. When you feel like you've been wrong, you will run to your default. And your default is a curse. Everyone always does this to me. It always happens to me. I just don't know why people don't treat me right. And you forget that everything that happened, you did. Okay. Uh, to muster. <laughs> you ever felt like you had to muster up something? Like, oh, I got to dig deep. What if what you were digging in was the well called a curse? So you were like, you know what? I got to just rise up. And in you rising up, come here, come here, lady. Uh, in you rising up, it, you drew from a place not of being a strong woman, but from being an overbearing one. It's quiet, it's quiet. Right, it means, watch this, to deposit. Your curse preaches to you. So you'll come to church and hear a word. You ought to head and not to church. You ought to not to me. You ought to curse. And you ought to get corruption, get dysfunction in your bloodline. And you'll shout and raise your hand. And then your curse will get in the car with you. And say, ain't none of that going to work. Not for you. You make too many mistakes. You have done too much wrong. Nothing's ever going to change for you. Why are you fighting anyhow? Just go to the clubs and get tipsy. Seems like life was better for you when you were out there doing your own thing than when you're now serving God and putting him first. Your curse will preach to you. It will deposit in you. Check this out. Can I give you the last two definitions? Uh, and then I got to finish this message. It then means this. All these are the definitions of this word pastor in Hebrew. Visits, which means pastor in Hebrew. Here are all these definitions from this one word. It means to go see you. Go see. Okay? It's going to come see about you. So what a curse does is a generational curse, when a curse sees you're making progress, a curse comes to see about you. You ever had somebody just stop by and say, I'm just checking on you. Or somebody call you say, I'm just checking by. That's what a curse will do. And normally that moment will create what you do in your next movement. I hear what I'm saying. Th then it means this. Then it means hurt. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Visiting, pastoring, hurting. In other words, here's what a curse does. The generational curse, what it's assignment to do is to actually create the hurt that makes a scar for somebody else. Because while you're sitting here complaining about your wounds, which produce your scars, you're ignoring the ones you're giving to other people. 
But say this declaration like you really mean it. Say, my generational curses will no longer be my pastor. Say it again. Say, my generational curses will no longer be my pastor. See, this explains why people do certain things and they're like, I don't know why I did that. And they don't have an explanation for the thing that they did. It is because they don't even realize that they were being pastored by a curse. They're being led by a curse. And when you are a good follower, you follow the leader. But what if the leader you've been following isn't the one standing in front of you with the mic? It's the one that's in your head. It's quiet in here. Now, now check this out. Check this out. Say generational curses. Uh, uh, generational curses are fueled by this thing called a familiar spirit. And can I just go real deep, real fast? Can I go real deep, real fast? Now, uh, they're fueled by familiar spirits. Say familiar spirits. You see two words there. What's the first word? Familiar. What do you see in that familiar? What is that family? What's a spirit of mindset? What's a familiar spirit? The mindset of a family. A familiar spirit is a pattern of behavior that's common to people within a certain family or region. So a generational curse says, in order to get you to let me be your leader and your pastor and to coach you and all that, I need you to think that this is the way we do it. It only works if it's familiar. And we did, did a whole analogy on Sunday of where if somebody knocks at the door and you know who they are, you let them in and you're letting in the very thing that hurts you. Well, that's exactly how it works. A generational curse says, I need them to, have, to see others like this so that it becomes common so that they will think there's no curse. Y'all ain't talking to me. If it's so common, you won't think it's a curse because all the women in your bloodline are like that. If it's so common, you won't think it's a curse because all the men in your bloodline are like that. But lay your hands on yourself and say, I'm not born to be common. Say it again, I'm not born to be common. In Mark chapter 5, and I'm just about there, Mark chapter 5, verse number 8. It tells the story of this man, and we're going to look at these verses. I want you to see this so that you understand how it works. And then I'm going to tell you what you need to do, and we're going to break some stuff tonight. And we're going to get it all done in the next 10 minutes. I said we're going to get it all done in the next 10 minutes. All right, tomorrow's my birthday. So, I, so, so, so I'm going to party like it's my birthday. And that's the only part of the song I'm doing. Mark 5, 8. <laughs> Y'all, something else. <laughs> I love you. Mark 5, 8. Here it is. Watch this. For he said to him, why you tell us that, Bishop? Because y'all ain't going to have me here all night. <laughs> all right, here it is. We're going to get these curses broken. We're going to move. For he said to him, come out of the man. This is Jesus speaking. Unclean what? Spirit. See, some stuff, the reason it's scared to come to a church like this it's because it knows I peep game. That's why you got folk who will say, well, I don't know. That's too much truth. That's too real. That's too this. It's because the game has been peeped from the pulpit. So there's some spirits that won't come into an atmosphere and an environment like this because they know that's going to be the last day they get to torment you. Let me prove it to you. Have you seen how much you've grown spiritually since you've been here? Because some spirits have been coming out. Some things have been changing. Some things have been turning around. Boy, he said to him, come out of this man, you unclean spirit. Then he asked him, what's your name? I love Jesus because Jesus said, come out, and then I'll ask you your name. Which means I don't need to know the name of the spirit. I just need to know that it's unclean, and I need to tell it to go. So, are you hearing what I'm saying? And he said, watch this. My name is Legion. Check it out, for we are many. My name is Legion, for we are many. My, singular, name is Legion, for we, plural, are many. When you've got generational curses, you will act like several different people. You'll have your church version. You'll have your Saturday version. You'll have your friends that don't go to church version. You'll have your club version. You'll have your cousin friends version. You've got so many different versions of you because your name is Joe, but we are many. Watch. He says, my name is Legion, for we are many. Verse 10. Also, he begged him earnestly that he would not send them out of the country. He begged them earnestly that he would not send them out of the country. 
he, singular, begged them earnestly that he would not send them, plural, out of the country. Country, watch this, does not mean the region or territory. Country meant keep them in my bloodline. He said, because if I get rid of them, then I need them to stay in a familiar spirit. I need them to get in somebody else in my family, somebody else in my bloodline. He says, don't send them outside of my family. Are you still here? He says, he says, my name is Legion, for we are many. Also, he begged them earnestly that he would not send them out of the country. Country here in the Greek language of our New Testament, it means not just region, but it means family. This man, if you look at the verses before this, this man, the Bible says he lived amongst the tombs. He's lived in the past. He lived with dead stuff. That's where he lived. He lived in tombs. Some of your houses ain't nothing more than, than, than a cemetery. Remember when? Remember when? Remember when? Remember when? Remember when? So-and-so hurt me. So-and-so did this to 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 me. That's why I don't watch that now. That's why I don't watch that now. Because so-and-so did this to me. Watch. Then, then the Bible says he cut himself all day. He was self-destructive. Here's the deal. He didn't really want to kill himself. He wanted attention. If he wanted to kill himself, he could have just jumped into the water and never got up. He didn't really want, because let me talk to some of y'all who are always talking about, I'm just dealing with suicidal thoughts. I'm dealing with this. I'm dealing with that. Let me just go on and bust that bubble. It is not the spirit of suicide many of you deal with. It is the spirit of attention grabbing that you got. You want folk to notice you, look at me, see me. I'm going through something. Why ain't nobody helping me? Why ain't nobody praying for me? You wanted to go, you'd be gone. It ain't hard. But let me just go on and bust that. You shall live and not die. To the, I don't care what the source of that is. You got more life to live. You got more victories to have. Somebody holler, I shall live and not die. Now, watch this. Now look at this. Verse 11. Verse 11. Now a large herd of swine was feeding him. He lives in tombs. He's cutting himself. The Bible says nobody could bind him. This man would submit to no man. You missed it. This man would submit to no man. Y'all go back up to those verses a few uh, earlier so they can see this. It says, and no one, he could not be bound by change. Nobody could bind him. He wouldn't submit to anyone. Do you see this? He had been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been pulled apart by him. The shackles were broken to pieces. No one could what? Tame him. This was a person that it didn't matter what church he went to, he wouldn't submit. Didn't matter what leader he had, he wouldn't submit. Didn't matter who his daddy was, wouldn't submit. Didn't matter who his father was, wouldn't submit. Didn't matter who the boss was, he wouldn't submit. So he, watch this, often blame his issues for who his leader was, not realizing his leader didn't have the ability to tame him in the first place. He was untamable. He was uninvestable. All because my name is Legion, we are many. Watch this. So all the demons, verse this, verse 11. Now a large herd of swine was feeding there near the mountains. Remember, he said, don't let us leave the country, the region, the family, the bloodline. Well, there's nobody in this bloodline that's around the man. The closest thing they found was the pigs. You remember when Jesus said, do not cast your pearls before swine nor give what's holy to the dogs. Who is he talking about? Human beings. What do the swine represent? The man's family. This is too much for y'all, because y'all, y'all, it's too deep, 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 too deep. When Jesus was looking for the equivalent of his family, the closest thing he found were pigs. When Jesus was looking for the equivalent of the man's family, the closest thing he found was swine. Notice, and it was a herd of swine. Why? Because they moved together. You still here? Generational curses are what? Fueled by familiar spirits. Now we know why the man couldn't get free. Who was by him? Those pigs. 
What were those pigs equivalent to? His family. What were they? A herd. What do herds do? Move together. Why couldn't he get free? Because they were around. Why does God often isolate you from certain folk in your bloodline? Because he says there's a herd around you and they're the reason you can't get free because every time you try to get free, they talk you back into the herd. Ah. Uh, uh, you still here? So the demons begged him, saying. Now, uh, in, in the other chapter that explains this in the Gospels, it says there were about 2,000. 2,000 scars that are in this guy and their generational curses, and they've been passed down. The guy is self-destructive. He can't be tamed. He don't listen to nobody. Does his own thing because he thinks he knows everything. And the closest thing that could be found to be his family was his herd of swine. You still here? Now, look. The demons begged him, saying, send us into the swine that we may enter them. My name is Legion. We are many. I say, do not let us be cast out of the country. Look, look at this. You have felt like he was fighting you. L let me tell you. It wasn't really you you were fighting. It was generational stuff you were fighting. Yeah. Look, look, look. So all the demons begged him, saying, send us into the swine that we may enter them. And at once, Jesus gave them permission. This is super interesting because the text start with Jesus saying, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Then he says, what your name is? Then after they have this discussion, then, then all of a sudden, they're given permission to leave. I thought he cast them out. If he cast them out, why do they now need permission to leave? If he cast them out, why do they need permission to leave? Because the way a generational curse works, watch this, is when you decide to break it, what you're really doing is giving yourself permission to live. Jesus Christ. Uh, let, let me see. Uh, let's work it. Uh, verse 12. So the demons begged him. Say they begged him. Send us to the swine that we may enter them. And at once Jesus gave them permission. Then the unclean spirits went out and entered the swine. How many was it? It tells you right there. How many was it? And the herd. Watch this. Look at me. When we say breaking curses, here's the trip. What if it's not one? What if it's not two? What if it's not three? What if it's not a hundred? What if it's not a thousand? What if it's not fifteen hundred? What if it's two thousand? Which is why you need more than twelve steps. Because this man could have, and I'm not, let me be very clear. I'm not against therapy. I'm not against counseling. I, we do it for people all the time. So I'm very for that. But there's certain stuff you don't have the time to deal with 2,000 individual curses. So what you need is a supernatural occurrence where in one moment, Jesus comes in and deals with multiple curses at one time. Somebody say, I need something supernatural. That doesn't remove the need for coaching. That doesn't remove the need for therapy. Counseling, all that, I'm for all of that. I'm just saying, could you imagine how many years it would have taken this guy to get free? Because every time he would have sat down, one would have came up. Then another, then another, then another. That's 2,000 meetings. If he met every day with his counselor for, for years, it's going to take several years before they get through all of them. But in one moment, somebody say one moment. Jesus gave them permission. Then the unclean spirits went out and entered the swine. They're about 2,000. I want you to look at this next part of the verse. Let me show you what was about to happen to him. And the herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea. And drowned in the sea. Look, look, look at me. Where did these spirits come from? Him. 
what were they about to do to him? Take him out. What, is it, what does it mean to drown? It means, I got medical folk in here. Your lungs get full of water, and once they're completely full of water, you can no longer breathe. Is that right? That's right. I'm a doctor, but I'm not an MD. I'm a PhD. Check it out. What were these spirits about to do to this man? Get him so full of emotion, of confusion, of anger, of frustration, that the man was going to drown in it. Jesus shows up in one moment and meets the man. And if you look at the beginning of it, they said, what have you come to do to us? We know who you are. And Jesus says, come out, you unclean spirit. Then Jesus gives them permission to leave. Because Jesus showed up right before these spirits were about to take this man out. I want to submit to somebody tonight, and you better hear me and hear me real good. Uh, the reason I needed to come here, I didn't plan to go here in this series. I, I need you to hear this. Say, so what do you need us to hear, Bishop? There are certain things that time is so important. And if you miss something by a day, miss it by an hour, miss it by a moment, you can miss the whole opportunity. I don't know who I'm talking to specifically tonight. God won't show me that. He won't show me a face, but he shows me a scenario. What you don't understand is what these generational curses had set up for you wasn't just another valley. Wasn't just another failure. There's a death already amongst your siblings that has happened in the last 15 years. And it was coming for you. But tonight. Say, but tonight. The man acted like several different people. Hold on, I'm about to finish. The man acted like several different people. Say, several different people. He's fueled by these familiar spirits. And what are the familiar spirits? The swine, the herd. What herd is feeding your hurt? Are you here? I said, are you here? The Bible says, Jesus gives them permission to leave. And when he gives them permission to leave, they go and they drown these swine. They didn't even fight one another. They ran into the water and self-destructed. They ran into the water and self-destructed. You missed it. They ran into the water and self-destructed. You missed it. They ran into the water and self-destructed. Where was the devil in all of this? Nowhere. Because once it was set into motion, he by no means clears the guilty. But he visits pastors, the iniquity of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. And then you were born. And when you were born, the same thing that's been working on your bloodline for years was attempted. The same wounds, the same scars, same things were attempted. And they hoped that like the generations before you, things would seem so common you wouldn't even think it's a curse. And then on a Wednesday night in Denver, Colorado, 5,280 miles above or feet above sea level. If you were that miles above sea level, we'd be, <laughs> be hot. When you were born, the curse breaker was born. That man, if you keep reading the story, I don't have time to do it, I'm out of time. If you keep reading the story, the Bible says that that man 
when the people saw him in his right mind, they were afraid. They'd never seen him right. They'd always seen him cursed. I'm going to prophesy to somebody that after what we do in these next few moments, there are going to be people that have seen you, people that have observed you, people that have known you, and they've only seen you full of them curses. But this is for somebody in this atmosphere tonight that something supernatural is going to happen in this place tonight. And what's going to take place, what's going to take place for you tonight is that when they see you in your right mind, they're going to say, who is that? Because I've always seen them weak. I've always seen them timid. I've always seen them arrogant. I've always seen them prideful. I've always seen them in the light of all these curses so much so that the curses became common. But tonight, I said, but tonight, I want to say this last thing. Would you stand with me? I'm done. Can I say this last thing? All right, I want to say this last thing. Uh, Y'all remember Trick Cereal commercial? Where Trick's the rabbit attempted to trick the children and to give them a bowl of cereal. And every time the children would catch the rabbit and say, Watch this, and they take back their cereal. You're about to do that with, with some areas of your life tonight. Silly bloodline. Generational curses are for kids. The plight, listen to me, the plight of Tricks the Rabbit came from Greek mythology from this guy named Sisyphus. He was compelled to roll a boulder up a hill only to watch it roll back down and repeat this action forever. Check it out. He'd roll the boulder up, watch it roll back down. Roll it up, watch it roll back down. Roll it up, watch it roll back down. Watch this. Get psyched up at church. Go right back to an emotional low. Feel real strong at church. Go right back to an emotional low. He did this. He did this over and over and over again. And the curse of Sisyphus was that he would only be able to watch the boulder roll back down. And he'd have to repeat that action forever. This is my question. Or statement, rather. All he had to do was start asking questions. To break the cycle. At some point, why didn't Sisyphus say, wait a minute, this ain't working. I gotta stop doing this this way because it's not working. At some point, you think Sisyphus would say, this is dumb. But he couldn't. Say why? Because it was a curse. And for Sisyphus, because it was a curse, it became common. So much so that he thought, this is my plight. Watch this. This is just the hand I've been dealt. This is just the way my life's going to be. Why didn't Sisyphus, at some point, just kind of say, hey, I kind of want free from this. I kind of want out of this. Can I ask you something? What, what, what areas of your life have you just decided that's just how that's going to be? That's just, that's just how that's going to be. This is how that's going to be. And really what you're doing is rolling the boulder up the hill and letting it roll right back down. Jesus said, unclean spirit, come out. Well, I pray that today's life-giving message has spoken life into your life. I'm Bishop Foreman, pastor of Harvest Church, and at this time, I want to extend an opportunity to you to give your life to Jesus Christ. You know, 2,000 years ago, God stepped in a body. That body was called Jesus. That body got on a cross and died for our sins. Now, sins are things that we do that don't please God, and they ultimately don't please God because they ultimately are very harmful and dangerous to us. Not only did he die for our sins, he died so we could have life and life more abundantly. Here's what that means, that not only do we experience God's best, but that we can speak life into other people and use our lives to change the lives of other people. And today, if you need to become a Christian for the first time, the Bible says if you believe in your heart, confess with your mouth, you will be saved or born again or become a Christian. All those phrases mean the same thing. 
And if today you were far from God, this is your opportunity to reconnect to God. I love him because uh, he's not the God of a second chance. The truth is, is we've all used our second chance already. He's the God of another chance. He offers us constant new beginnings and fresh starts to get things right for him. He gave his life for us so that we could give our lives for him. So today, if you need to become a Christian or recommit yourself to Jesus right there where you're at, I don't care where you're listening to this message, I want you to say this with me. Say, Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for dying in my place. Because of this belief and because of this confession, if this is my first time praying this, I am now a Christian. If I was far from you, I am reconnected to you. Great days are here for me. Today is the beginning of the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, if you prayed that prayer for the first time, you are now a Christian. You're born again. You're saved from yourself. And if you were far from God, you're reconnected to God. And here's what I want you to do. Take out your mobile phone and text the word DECISION to the phone number 59769. And when you do... I'm going to send you a message right away that's going to show you how to make Christianity your lifestyle and not just a hobby. And here's what I want to encourage you to do. You are connected to me and connected to Harvest Church for a reason. It's because this is the place God wants to speak life into your life. This is the place God wants you to grow and become a strong Christian and and serve and change the lives of other people. So stay connected, whether it's at a physical campus or a digital campus, stay connected to Harvest Church. Keep receiving this word and let it speak life into your life. Hope you have a phenomenal day. Hey, congratulations. We all know a guy who only occasionally shaves for big occasions, and it's because that occasional shave really hurts. It's the time of year for big occasions, and yet there he is, suffering with that cheap drugstore razor. Let's help him out. Henson Shaving's line of razors, built with aerospace precision, deliver a smooth shave your dad, brother, and even son can enjoy, eventually. With replacement blades just 10 cents each, you'll buy it once, and they'll use it for life. How's that for the perfect gift? Celebrate with 100 free blades on your first purchase, and no subscription headaches. HensonShaving.com holiday. Ah, feel the woe with Listerine at BJ's. You can save $2.50 now on Listerine products like Total Care Anti-Cavity Fluoride Fresh Mint Mouthwash or Cool Mint Pocket Packs Fresh Breath Strips at your nearest BJ's location. Experience the feeling of a million germs zapped in seconds with Listerine. Discount available through December 24th. Save now only at BJ's.